Still largely stuck in the brigs that are our homes, it's V'ger Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm your cellmate, Peter. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, we've uh, we've made the jail jailbird voyager joke a number of times, but we finally went kind of meta with the meme on this one, didn't we, Peter? Mm-hmm. This is uh, season five, episode nine, Turbo Clink, uh, 30 days. <laughs> I uh, enjoyed this episode. I feel like it's a classic Kenneth Biller slash bewilder uh, in some of the choices that they make. But at the same time, the idea of us focusing a whole episode on a character like Tom Paris and see him kind of go through a journey from his perspective is uh, a refreshing way to approach an episode. Um, Overall, I thought the visual effects were great. Yeah, uh, stand out actually for this and that the whole framing device of it being, you know, the letter to his father of him explaining what happened, I thought was a cool idea, too. Uh, one question, though, I don't know if you know anything about this, Peter. I looked up it says tell teleplay by Kenneth Biller story by Scott Miller. Do you know, like the difference between someone who's credited with the story versus who's credited with teleplay? I don't, but I have a podcast. So let me talk out of my ass. Um, oh, okay, no, that's, I'll allow it. I would have to assume because I think it's like whoever comes up with the initial pitch gets credit for like, yeah, okay, that was your story. And I think teleplay is where you're really scripting it out and, and coming up with all the details. Um, I would not have realized that this was a Kenneth Biller episode because I don't think it's it doesn't hit the peaks and it certainly doesn't hit the valleys for his classic thumbprint. But uh, now being confronted with his name, I can see some I can see a little bit of Cray in the yeah. in the in the in the text here. There's a lot of interesting stuff about this episode. At its core, it is a a Sequest episode, right? Yeah, Voyager's got to go under Sequest DSV. We did it. But apparently and as one guy who has a podcast that always runs over an hour to another guy with a podcast that always runs over an hour. Like mm-hmm. the idea of making a self-contained television show in 45 minutes is crazy to me. And for them to have a fully fleshed out plot and still step back and say, this episode isn't long enough. Cause like all the underwater stuff was the story. And they're like, man, this thing's coming up 10 minutes short. What are we going to do? And uh, Robert Duncan McNeil was like, Let's throw Tom in jail. Let's throw this dad plot line in there. Let's get the demotion. Well, I guess the demotion would have been part of it, but let's let's build this entire Briggs scene. And it's crazy, man. You already have this done thing and like it's it's just not long enough. And in one of the rare cases, I can say, you know, the tack on story does not feel tack on. It's a great framing device. And I think the real story here is Tom in jail, not what Tom did to get into jail. I think. The framing device makes the episode elevates the episode significantly, which is probably why it doesn't feel tacked on. Uh, If it were just the story, you would lack a lot of this Tom kind of dealing with the why he did what he did. And the unasked question of if it was correct for him to do what he has done. Uh, I really liked that part. And the fact that it was something they came up with after the fact, you know, and, and they worked it in the way they did was uh, good craft on their part. Um, the episode opens with the ending, which is 
everything that we will see in the episode has occurred and Tom is being demoted. It's very formal. He's in Janeway's ready room, reads his full name, uh, demotes him and literally strips his uh, black pip off his collar uh, and uh, sentences him to 30 days in the brig. And he says, now don't, you don't have to guide me there. I already know the way to jail. <laughs> I have a nose for it. And we see him basically take a perp walk, throws his comm badge onto the table and then and steps in to uh, to have his 30 days. I like that the security is there almost as an insult that like the security division, which is the fucking worst, like being like, now these clowns are going to take you. <laughs> These remember fucking rem- rem- dummies. Remember crewman fuckface and ends in Dingleberry who got jacked by some Ferengi. They're going to take you downstairs. It's interesting <laughs> that it's not Tuvok there. And let's read into the scene deeper than it needs to be. Let- let's look past the fact that it's just Janeway and Paris here because they didn't want to pay the other big cast members <laughs> <laughs> money for, uh, for this scene. But is that Janeway? still doing Tom Masal. Well, I don't know, man. Let's here's a question I want to ask you and we're going to jump right to the end. This is the worst punishment we have ever seen doled out to a Voyager crew member short of Lon Suter. Correct. Yes, right? this is. And even this Lon is... Suter gets confined to quarters and he gets to have visitors in the form of Tuvok and maybe other people all I don't think anybody wants to fucking talk to Lon Suter. 30 days solitary confinement that I mean, cruel and unusual comes up in the script itself. But I think there's a lot of shit here that it's clear that Janeway's making an example out of Tom on one hand. But on the other hand, if this is going to be the one time you hold someone really accountable and there's so much guilt all over Voyager, jumping back to the Skeevians and you had Seska, you had Balana, you had Tuvok straight up mutiny and steal the not steal but you know procure the the space folding technology you had chakotay stealing a shuttle to go off and deal with his baby mama drama i mean you've got there's probably more i'm just not pulling them up off the top of my head right now but everybody always skates by with not even a slap on the wrist and prior to this the most we've ever seen janeway come down on anybody was chewing out tom and balana for literally fooling around on the clock and that could be attributed to the fact the space mengala elves were sticking butter knives on her eyeballs so right this is the biggest punishment to ever be handed down short of murdering somebody and she's doing it in her ready room i would think that she would do it in front of the whole crew and really you know, Tom's my pet project. I'm holding them accountable. Oh, no, I'm sorry. There I am talking about insubordination, how I've glossed over the entirety of season four of uh, seven of nine does her own thing at every turn. And then gets to be in charge of engineering when Polana is incapacitated. Yeah, you're, you're not even in a uniform, but you can be in charge of our warp drive. Um, so she's grilling him in front of two nobody security officers. So he's not really being humiliated in front of his friends and family. Uh, but she's levying the most severe sentence we've ever seen in this kind of scandalous private moment. So do you think that she did it in private to spare him the humiliation? And do you think what he did is ultimately worth the worst punishment that we have ever seen doled out short of murder? I think you have to parse that question into two different sections. 
The first is, has Janeway just been too lenient? And this makes it stand out, which I think is correct. Yes. Is the punishment befitting of the crime that Tom actually committed in a vacuum? I think the answer is yes. I think actually, all things considered, this may not be enough. Uh, So this, I mean, he stole a shuttlecraft and was prepared to commit an act of terrorism on another planet against the wishes of both his captain and the the legitimate, legitimate government of that planet. I mean, there's just no question that his act was, from a legal perspective, completely wrong. And he is essentially a military officer, for lack of a better term. Uh, and being demoted and being put in the pokey for 30 days is actually, I think, getting off kind of light. So I I think that the, the, the question you're asking is, is Janeway just too soft on her people? And we have recounted many times that she is. Now, is she that way because she realizes I have to get – I a, I'm closer to these people than I ever anticipated. I'm not just commanding officer. I am the the – the matriarch of this of this clan of this extended family therefore i have to treat them less as officers more as my children and we've seen that reflected in a lot of her interactions not just letting them off easy on punishments when they fuck up or the fact that she employs a bunch of terrorists as officers and crew members on her ship uh but also like when we saw uh, what happened in timeless and she like came down and was like i am so proud of this kid moment with with harry you know, so uh, I think that that element is probably the one we should focus on, which is this is seal feels severe only because she probably feels she's left with no choice but to do something like this. Although let's let's also point out this is probably the most meaningless punishment you could give Tom Paris, it's like demoting him. Like this man gives zero fucks about rules. He just proved that to you. Does he care if he's got a extra pep on his collar or not? He just. Smith, I give any shits whatsoever. (laughs) Speaking of the pips for a second here, and I don't know if we really discussed it when we were on like episode two or whatever. It's weird that for all intents and purposes, he is a fully camouflaged Starfleet officer. He got the regular Federation or regular Starfleet pips, but everybody from the Maquis who joined in got the um, field accommodations, right? Yeah, so he was made a regular officer while all of Maquis people were made provisional officers. When, you know, really on paper, he's no different than Chakotay. He was a Starfleet officer who exited Starfleet and became Maquis and was disavowed. Like, maybe it's because he got uh, recruited for the mission and she had authorization from Starfleet Command to reinstate his commission, whereas... I think that's actually the line that is the separation. He was caught, convicted of the crime, serving a sentence, and he was on that mission because he was going to get a pardon for doing it. And so he was already in kind of Starfleet's employ instead of a fugitive from justice. Fair point. All right. That probably enables that difference. Makes sense. Camera angles feel real weird in this scene, and I think they're intentionally done that to like make you feel a little disoriented. Again, the 30 days solitary confinement. I was expecting it to be like the hole where he's just basically in complete darkness by himself. But they march him down to the uh, brig, which is manned. And I was like, is there always just some security guy fucking standing in an empty room? Like, what a waste of a (laughs) pair of hands. Hello. Hello, anybody. I'm down here, please. Security is just there for the insult of the the escort down. And we get a, a nice zoom into his face. As they turn on the energy field, 
I'm obsessed with these fucking sideburns. Now that I know that these are little wigs, <laughs> that they're gluing to the side of their face. Like I am my eyes on the screen at all time. Like even a seven and nine could be on the screen and I'm still looking at dude's sideburns. Like <laughs> it's consuming. The brig does not seem like it is built for a long-term residency. So 30 days in something that is a bench seems pretty fucking terrible. I don't see a toilet in there anywhere. There's no place for clothes. Like I don't know what the laundry services. He's just chilling out most of the episode in his slacks and his under armor shirt, but um, pretty gross situation. Yeah. He, uh, you know, he's, he's doing, uh, I guess push push ups. The first time anyone comes by it's Neelix. Um, I do like, like, Hey, I got into shape. Gonna do some push ups on screens. Gonna look good. And Neelix comes by and it's, it's just like some fucking Lenoto root stew is a running gag on the show. And uh, he's like, I just, Hey, can't you replicate me a pizza? And he's like, uh, no, you're in jail. You just, you have to have jail food. And he's like, well, can I have time on the holodecks? Like, no, Janeway's like, you're in jail. You don't get to do fun things. And, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's made to sound like Janeway's being particularly harsh on him, but it's just like, it, it almost feels like it's, it's, it's Tom like memeing on the situation because to show how much of a f- zero fucks he gives about his punishment to ask shit like that. I'm not sure which read it's supposed to be, but I took it as Tom asked just to be an asshole. I took it as privileged Tom who's cried so much about, you know, if we jump back to uh, threshold, all the entitlement and everything he has, like even though this guy's been to fucking easy ass New Zealand Federation jail and terrible murder jesus the shoot jail <laughs> both like they're, they're like the far ends of yeah. the jails right maybe like, he just has no calibration for what jail really should be and he's like is it supposed to be a pleasure resort is it supposed to be a prison shank olympics i i don't know <laughs> i did My like wires the, are all crossed i did like this his line of like oh you're doing exercise and he's like yeah I, I always do that when i'm in jail <laughs> like, oh i got a whole routine dude i got a whole routine yeah um, I thought that the the Neelix scene was charming to a certain extent. Like you see that there's a sympathetic angle that Neelix has for him. But I really like the idea that that Paris and Neelix are deep down bros. They were at odds, cringy odds for so long that when they finally got past that in um, Space Muppet planet side adventure whatever that the frakes episode what was that yeah the the i forget the name of the episode i'd certainly just remember ever i remember everything else about it including that jonathan frakes took that episode and turned it into spun to gold somehow (laughs) (laughs) but that was really a great friendship that i thought had been started and that later gets touched on in the seska plot arc where the manufactured antagonism between chakotay and paris culminates with paris uh, renouncing his relationship to the ship and leaving. So Yusesco would pick him up and Neelix comes to him and pleads like, don't leave. You're a good man. I've seen how much. And you see in that episode, like Paris takes it in the fields and he's like, man, I, I've actually found a pretty good friend in this guy. So I think there's more that they could have done here with Neelix sympathizing or that friendly camaraderie to be there. Because later on in the episode, Harry Kim swings by and it's a very cold shitty exchange and for someone who's supposed to be in solitary confinement for 30 days i I think they had more room to play on both accounts although maybe that's part of the tom paris uh character 
is that he's shitty and he doesn't communicate his emotions well. And in the end, he walls people out and sabotages his own relationships and opportunities. I, I think that's exactly what the episode is trying to suggest. I think they suggest it directly in dialogue of and that's part of what he's coping with. Right. Of like, yeah, I kind of fuck things up again, dad. But I kind of want to tell the story of how, how and why. And so this is where he gets a pad. It's like the only comfort he has is he gets a pad to dictate a letter and he decides to dictate it to his, his father, Admiral Owen Paris. And it's it's this is all a meditation of him attempting to kind of resolve this part of himself where he's become a better man, but he still has self-destructive impulses. And he's trying to rationalize that with the fact that he ultimately took self-destructive impulse for what he thought was the right cause for a reason, for a good reason, not to lash out rebel with a cause. Yeah. Rebel with a cause instead of, instead of joining the Maquis out of a fit of peak, like before. So typical Tom fuck boy, the reminiscing begins with a a visit to uh, your and mine, a favorite uh, holodeck program, captain proton, uh, where he is uh, in the middle of uh, shooting through, quote unquote space on a on a rocket. I believe you heard the story of how that lit his fucking pants on fire. Yes, that was a Dragon Con uh firsthand story that they did not have that thing very uh safely constructed and it set his shit on fire. <laughs> and so we see that this is this is where that's happening. And uh there are two new participants in the uh Captain Proton venture. It's not just Tom and Harry. It is the Long discussed, but never seen Jenny and Megan Delaney, the Delaney sisters, after five seasons, have actually finally shown up on the show, played by actual identical twins. And they are playing the twin mistresses of evil. And they they look they look fine. They're in skin tight cat suits that are low cut with like this scarlet witch m headband and mm-hmm. very uh, reminiscent of comic scarlet witch yeah if you need me i'll be in my bunk it, it, it that that checked off a few boxes for me that scene and let me tell you man if, if that was in play see you later balana i i know who i'm spending my time <laughs> uh i really like the idea of other cast members and you know it was uh seven and nine got roped into it before but you know it, it's fun that this is how these guys are passing the time and like hey you want to come into my crazy you know 1930s serial real larp and you can be the evil bad guys they've got harry kim up in a very kinky will be bdsm laser interrogation scene when tom comes in and cock blocks it and he's like dude i was just about to get tortured by the super hot twin villainous <laughs> i like the way that that garrett wang played he's like tom he's like Really, I I had it under control because they were kind of getting touchy. Mm. He was very into it. Mm. Reminded him of when he went to Sex Cougar Planet. You know, I did. I did like that they kept continuity with the fact that uh, the the shy the one that's a little shy is uh, uh, Megan, and the one that's a little freaky is Jenny. And Jenny is the one who really wants to bang Harry, but Harry's really into the shy one. Yeah, man, that and- was that was mentioned in a prior episode. I. I feel like it was uh, early on. 
I feel like it was season one, maybe. Oh, it wasn't season one. I just I, I clicked onto the Delaney sisters to see if there was a reference to it. There is. It was in fucking time and again, the goddamn candy corn tragedy. Right, right. Absolutely. So, again, I'm keeping current on the, the Delta Flyers podcast because it's gold. It is gold. It's gotten really it went it went from OK to really good very quick because Robert Duncan McNeil's like starting to buy into it, I think. Yeah, he started to get up. into it. Yeah. That first episode, he was just kind of like, uh, but and now I, he's like, I want to be clear, like the the hard time I gave him about their monetization, like there's still a lot of material that they're putting out. They're not riddling that podcast with fucking commercials and shit. So whatever they're doing with Patreon, more power to you. I think there's still enough content in play, but something they talked about. And I never really realized it was Voyager has the biggest uh, cast ensemble cast of any of the Star Treks. And, you know, my I was about to say, like, these Delaney sisters seem pretty awesome. Why isn't there more of them? Where's Joe Carey? All these other people that they kind of hint at that are in the background. Like, why are these not reoccurring characters? And I guess, you know, there becomes a commodity of time. And when you've got full blown main cast stars in this number, it probably does become hard time to give everybody a little bit of screen time. And, you know, that comes at the sacrifice of what could be really solid secondary characters. I don't think it's accurate that it had the biggest cast because it has the same like key characters as far as like captain, first officer, pilot, ops, tactical, engineer, um, medical officer. And then extra, so like it would be Troy or Seven of Nine or Kess. Plus Neelix. Plus Neelix. And so that's like one more than TNG, granted. But like DS9 definitely showed the way of how you could do this. Like they had a similar core of like here's our six, seven main players. And then they had like 12 extra people that would show up for like, you know, 20 episodes over the course of the run of the show. And have episodes devoted like Garrick is obviously the number one on that list, but like Nog, Quark, Rom, Lita, like like Vedic Burial, everyone from the Mirror Universe, like they they did a really good job of actually using a much larger expanded cast in the fashion that you're talking about right now. And yeah, like these two, like in the two scenes we have with the Delaney sisters unfortunately the only two scenes we have with them ever you already get a feel of who these characters are that they would kind of like be cool to see more of them like i'd like kim dealing with the fact he's really into the one of the twins that isn't into him and all this other stuff like we get all of that in two scenes and it's like what a missed opportunity not to have them on more i also what i really like about this captain proton stuff it's so hammy and over the top and i love that smash cut because uh janeway's like senior officers to the bridge and they're like oh we got to stop our fun and then they cut out to the hallway and they're walking and uh one of the delaney sisters like sorry i don't have those star charts ready and tom's like oh come on you said you'd have them last night you know this sensor matrix is offline seven and nine's working on i'm like this is this is cool this is good i like this uh, they part ways, but not before thirsty ass Harry can get in there. Be like, I can help you with this. Let me be involved with that. And they're like, uh, no, it's your day off. We'd hate to. Yeah. See you later, Harry. And then we get some really good uh, Harry and Tom bro time, which is a nice offset to the cold interaction we're going to get later on. But I I want to comment that I think that little bromance that they have been creating works very well at this point. 
It does. I, and it, it, the character beats there are really good. Like Tom's like, who who cares which one of them is into? Him? They're both twins. They're both hot. You should bang the one that's into you. Whereas Harry actually cares about their personalities. I also like <laughs> Tom like, calling him out and like, you just got shitty taste, man. Like you're you're always picking the loser. First, you're going after holograms then you're going after Borg. Now you're going after the wrong sister. Like, come on, man. Get your get your game in the right spot. You do recaps. So they get to the uh, the bridge and then is when they find a. Strange sensor reading and then they come in, they come up on it on visual and what they see is a planet that is an ocean. Which should not be possible. Like just it's just a giant ball of water in space. Like what the fuck is this? This should not physically exist. And so they're like, holy shit, let's take a look at this fucking weird thing we just found. And that's when we actually get our first shot of what I will call some quality special effects. Like we bag on the bad special effects of late 90s Voyager a lot. Credit where the credit is due. They spent some time making this like water stuff look good. They had to invent all these new shots. You have a lot of like first Voyager and then uh, the Delta Flyer going through like waters and later like underwater cities and like do explosions down there. Fucking looks still looks good. Yeah, I mean, I'd put not- it right up there with uh, and maybe it's been a while since I've seen Phantom Menace, but all the Gungan underwater city flying like. I didn't feel like this stuff was that many steps below that in terms of quality. Yeah, I would say it's comparable given both that they're contemporaries in time and this was made on a fraction of the money. This is really cool, high concept fantasy sci-fi. This is not stuff that we have ever seen before. And this is, you know, when we run across these situations, I'm always quick to praise Voyager. Like, it's easy for Star Trek to fall into this budget friendly these are the klingons and they're the angry guys with shit on their face and these are the romulan guys and they're the treacherous guys with with tips on their ears and this is there's not like really way out there crazy alien shit and last episode was uh the space mangala but you know you had the big rubber insectoid completely alien non-humanoid alien we got this like we're starting to forge into some really neat zany stuff and it makes sense that this would be one of those things that voyagers justified in flying off into however what will unfold has me scratching my head and really pushes the agenda that voyager is an antagonist force because as they get closer to this water bubble a couple ships that are like half submarine half spaceship it look badass, by the way. Yeah, they look really cool. They fly out on this attack vector and they start, uh, you know, Voyager tries to hail them. They ignore it. They start popping off a few shots, which seems like a pretty clear fuck you go away. And instead, Janeway's like, no, hold our ground. Red alert. Target the front ship and give them a little taste and let them know that we're tougher than they are, which seems like really like a bully move. And once they punch them once, then the ships hail and they're like, what do you want? And Jane was like, oh, we come in peace. And it reinforces yeah, like, like <laughs> bullshit. Bullshit, Janeway. If you came in peace, you'd be like, they shot it. You'd be like, you'd be like, OK, sorry, I guess we'll leave. Bye. Like We tried. Goodbye. And again, there's so many encounters that we find in Voyager where Voyager could just fly away. 
And instead, they hang around for the fight, whether it's to flex or whatever the reason is. And it's just needlessly antagonistic. So they're like, no, we're stronger than you are. And they're like, oh, okay, well, uh, what do you want? Oh, we want to learn. All right. (laughs) Come on over to my ship. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, so they invite him over and, you know, they they engage the the aliens. The the name of him, I believe, is Monean. I only remember that because Moana. And they, as you noted on the preview last time, they have outfits that kind of look like the Starfleet surgical gowns and uh, have kind of what you'd call a sort of semi amphibious fe- features, I suppose. Yeah. I could see these guys very realistically being the descendants of Janeway and Tom's lizard children. You know what? Maybe that's the reason why she Tom let them off early, easy. Oddly like, drawn. Listen, like, listen, Tom, I'm going to let you off easy because we have had lizard babies together. And that is a bond that even insubordination can't break. <laughs> you know, like we didn't see that it was a deleted scene. Um, <laughs> they they come on and and. You know, they're they're polite. Uh, They explain that they used to be nomadic before they found this weird sphere of water. And uh, they realized that they could uh, uh, essentially synthesize all of the material that they needed uh, there and decided to stay and build a civilization underwater Um, and had been there for a few centuries. At this, They are polite to a jarring extent where I'm like, these are fish people living in a magic ball of water in space. But when they come up on the bridge, Tom, who is just enamored by all of this, looks at him and like the leader guy just rolls up like, oh, hey, what's up? Uh, I'm fishy guy. Who are you? And like extends his hand to shake it. And I'm like, that, that's Aren't you shooting at us like 20 minutes ago? Not, not even that, but the fact that like <laughs> we are completely alien to you. And I, I, I know what a handshake is and I'm going to use it like that. Wow. Wow. Handshakes just transcend all cultural bonds, I guess. Well, um, I, you know, and after that, we beat coronavirus, you know, that's that's the dream, right? Yes. <laughs> so they they go to the briefing room. Tom sort of invites himself or like he he shows so much interest that 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 uh, Kathy's like, all right, buddy, you can come. Like, I see you want to be a part of what we're doing. And uh, that's where they kind of discuss, like, where did this come from? Like, what's going on? Uh, and that they're having problems, that the big giant ball of oceanness is kind of just dissipating and they don't necessarily know why. And uh, Tom volunteers themselves to uh, uh, use the Delta Flyer to fly to the center of their ocean to find out what's going on. Here is my complaint about the episode. Well, there's there's two complaints. The first complaint is ultimately dun dun dun. This is another Captain Planet episode. It is. It is. Uh, Second one of the season. Third. Third one, almost. Well. Second different race. They're pulling Captain Planet shit. I mean, yeah, I don't. The two Malorn episodes are equal. (laughs) By the end of this episode, you might as well put a red fire ring on Tom Paris's hand and he can be Wheeler, the planeteer of fire (laughs) and spunk. Uh, But. Hand in hand with that is the fact that for Tom to reach a point where he is going to indulge in terrorism and insubordination, they have to, in a rush, 
give something Tom a, a subject to be passionate about because you know it really highlights that there's a lot of things you can say about Tom, but he's not really passionate about anything other than having a good time. And for him to get to the point where he ends up by the end of this episode, they just have to do this rush job. Like, oh yeah, I'm I'm into cars and and you know holodeck whorehouses but also i'm super duper into underwater stuff and jules verne and all of that even though there's been not a goddamn thing said at any point in the previous four seasons and eight episodes that makes you think i give a shit at all about uh bio you know marine biology conservation hey that's also my only complaint about the episode they they straight up uh saved by the bell trick of the gang is suddenly super into a thing that you've never seen them be into before to make the plot happen. I've mentioned that trope here in the past, and this is just the most glaring example I think I've ever seen of it. They, so they, they did no out. work to set this up, and it's unfortunate because I think it's a large enough dark mark on the episode that it does significantly damage it because it feels so forced to give him this motivation. And then if, if they had done any work to make this something that he would, we as the viewer would know he cared about in the past, uh, it would be far more meaningful. It would be more meaningful as a story. It would be more meaningful to his character development, but instead they save by the billet and they invent wholesale through this scene that he has with Janeway right after in the briefing room. And they're like having tea and some shit. They lay it out so thick and I love Jules Verne and I was always reading like Moby Dick and oh I wanted God, to be Tom, me too. I can't believe this. We're totally school warp particles. This is this is their warp particles. Moment this is their John Luke coffee yeah. commercial. Yeah. That, that was the and it's like, come on. And they've been doing such a good job with telegraphing um, where you're going to see plot points. They've been laying this breadcrumb trail that seven of nine is going to have interactions with uh uh, Naomi Wildman and stuff, you know, that the doctor is into photography and he's dragging this goddamn care, camera everywhere. And, you know, it culminates in his slideshow presentation in the holodeck. Like, had he said at any point, like, God, I love underwater or just anything. This wouldn't have seen like such a sore thumb. But instead, it's like, OK, we get it. Tom has to have something to care about so we can tell an underwater adventure. And now I don't know what the right keener term for underwater fanboy is but oh my god i used to love sequest dsv i watched every episode <laughs> roy schneider's the shit yeah man with the fucking dolphin darwin hurt like oh, i loved all of that so the the scene after the 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 jean-luc scene that they have about how they were totes into oceans and shit uh that's when they decide to actually fly the the Delta Flyer down into the the briny depths of of the uh, ocean, ocean planet, and we get our first shots of like the you know the city and like the 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 big undersea civilization that they've the Gungan built. City reveal. Yeah, the Gungan City. Except cooler. I kind of like the look of this much better. Yeah, because fucking Jar Jar is not there. I'm sorry, Raffi's not there. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> Raffi, the 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 worst thing to happen to sci-fi since Jar Jar Binks. God. Um, yeah, it's cool. And, you know, this isn't the first time that we've explored, you know, do spaceships work in a fluid medium? Unfortunately, uh, fluidic space had been already been forced on us. So it, it makes sense. They're going down. 
uh, we've got Paris taking point on this crew, and he's decided that they're going to bring uh, Harry Kim along and Seven of Nine. And then they've got this other guy whose name is Rinko. Uh, Mr. Nibbly. I don't know. That's just, that's just the name that I came off the top of my head for him. This snivelly guy who I really thought was going to be a antagonist or like, because, you know, he gets demoted. The Netflix capsule was pretty clean. I don't really know what goes wrong here other than the fact that Tom stands by his actions. And I was really expecting this to be like a another shitheads. He said she said situation where Tom gets victimized or someone blames him for something. And I thought that this guy was going to be a bad, this Riga guy was going to be a bad guy, but instead he's kind of a hero by the end. Well, that's when he's kind of a hero slash kind of a big terrorist. (laughs) He's a terrorist, but his heart's in the right place. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's very much the, uh, was the heart kid from uh, Captain Planet. Mati, not to be confused with the other type of terrorist in the Delta Quadrant who hates Cardassians. I thought it was Mati. Yeah. Heart. So uh, he's the heart of the episode. Uh, They go down and this, you know, they've said, hey, listen, uh, we've noticed some disturbing stuff. We're losing volume. Something weird is going on with whatever is causing this body of water to congeal. And there's some cool like speculation, like some people believe there's a religious component. And, you know, I believe that it's uh, there's some sort of technology down on the bottom, but we can't get down there. And that's when Tom says, well, our, you know, the Tesla, the Delta flyer should be able to reach down there and we'll poke down and see if we can't kind of help you guys out. Like this is some pretty heavy meddling too. I'll add like they got spaceships, they got guns. They don't know if this is a warp capable society. So Janeway is pretty quick on the, you know, speaking of people breaking the prime directive, just inserting herself into another species dilemma, but. I think it's justified up to this point. You know, they're trying to be helpy McHelpersons. That's the sure. Federation way. Sure. And this is all very scientifically interesting to them. Uh, you know, they they deal with the being a submarine bullshit that you would expect. You know, pressure. There's a leak at one point. Uh, they get assaulted by a giant electric eel. Um, you know, it's there's hazards. Uh, but the the thing they find at the at, at the end is that the core of this ocean planet is actually essentially uh, uh, some fucking precursor tech. It's like a hundred thousand year old gravitational like core that is ma- serving as the the agent that binds this worldwide ocean together. Did you think that that gravity core looked very Herodian in origin? Now, as you think of it, it does kind of have a similar kind of architecture to it. I'm looking like at a picture of it right now. Yeah. I mean, and we know that Herogen, uh tech is that old. And uh, that faller, from- too. I mean, Herogen was some mm-hmm. pretty hot shit. And that's kind of a throwback. Like, this is the last the last time we really saw cool, ancient tech, high concept sci-fi stuff was the Herogen Relay. Uh, that creature attacking... I thought for a minute, like, well, maybe this thing is uh, causing problems and its electrical field is what's disrupting this machine's operation. Maybe this thing's revered as some sort of religious token and Tom decides to kill this thing against their wishes because he knows it's going to fix it. But instead, it's just some cheap like, oh, gosh, it's knocking us around. I would really like to have a comment out of uh, seven about like assimilating something as big as this Leviathan. 
I think, yeah, this is the spot in the episode as well where they cut back to the present day, quote unquote, while Tom is sitting in jail. And there's like a random red alert and there's like a random problem that they have with someone. They We don't ever see it on screen. We don't know what the problem is, but there's a there's a there is a crisis moment. And then, uh, you know, Tom is is aghast that he is not being let out of prison to fly the ship. And uh, he finds up unconscious as a consequence of the space turbulence. Which is one of my big questions when they locked him up. It's like a month. That is at least minimum two major encounters by the Voyager. I'm sorry, four major encounters by the Voyager encounter time charts that we've established. Right. And now you've got your best helmsman and you've got your only other medical practitioner sitting in there. So, you know, when I go back to was the punishment worth the crime, you know, you're because Voyager doesn't diversify its workload at all. Like, yeah, this, this is a pretty bold um, punishment that she's levied in a very strong message. She has sent to the rest of the ship. I, I think they probably would have sprung them from jail if there was a medical emergency. Uh, But for a piloting situation, you know, you just stand by your backup guy and then the doctor comes in, treats his wound and then like tells him like his backup saved the day and might take his job and shit just to kind of be fucky. That's um, the doctor I know and love. Yeah, the uh, he goes back to writing the letter and, um, you know, the, the the space, the space underwater adventures continue and Tom's heroic quick thinking and dogged determination to find out what's going on actually pays off because they're able to stabilize this core, which they find is malfunctioning because it's dealing with uh, uh, apparently an increase in the density of the water and it's throwing off the gravitational like calculations that hold it together. So it's it's siphoning off water because it has to because it's becoming too dense. Uh, Joe, I need you to please communicate this plot using uh, approved Captain Planet terminology. The strip mining is hurting the <laughs> Earth, and as a result, well, Gaia is uh, <laughs> feeling weak. So Wheeler and Mosby. They ultimately get there, but I think there's a little bit of cleverness to it because the reason why it's getting more dense is they're they're mining the oxygen from the water. But they make a point of saying, like, we actually try to, like, live with all of the ecology here. We try to be low impact and all this other stuff like the 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 cleverness of this particular Captain Planet episode is, I think, in the fact that these particular space polluters aren't as cartoonishly space pollute Uh It's that they are kind of normal people when you confront them with unfortunate realities. Yeah, I mean, we're not dealing with the hoggish Greedleys or the Duke Nukems. These guys are, uh, like you said, they're, they're better. I also think they do a nice job in this episode, and it's the same job they did in the Malorn episodes where there's a problem person but it that person is not necessarily a full representative of the planet at large so or, nor nor i think a cartoonish villain like if you're gonna do a an ecological episode like this having the undercurrent being dealing with ecological issues is hard and it's easier to just ignore them rather than deal with them is probably the most realistic thing you could do you know like I hate to keep making parallels to the present day in regards to this particular question, but it's very true. Like 
the solutions can often be difficult, hard to implement, require a lot of change, and probably cause a lot of economic upset. And political leaders typically don't like any of those things, and so they don't do it. And instead of making them, ha, 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 I'm horish, I'm I'm hoggish greedly, I'm going to strip mine Yellowstone National Park because I want oil money and just be cartoonishly bad. Instead, it's that sort of passively bad and not like antagonistic or malefic, but also not willing to do the thing that's necessary because it would co- create a personal cost. So you've got two fish people we're dealing with. There's Riga, who's the scientist who will later become uh, one of the eco-terrorists. And then you've got this Burkus guy who is like middle management, self-serving politician who is more worried about his own political career than the matter at hand. And that's kind of what Tom's going to form a lot of his opinions on. I also do like that Burkus makes me think of the name Burke from Aliens, which is the the slimy corporate guy who oh, yeah. I have the best intentions. But one of the greatest villains of sci-fi history. <laughs> isn't he though? I mean Paul Reiser just everything about aliens is fucking amazing. And and whatever, I'm not gonna go down that rabbit <laughs> hole right now. But uh <clears throat> you know this is another example where you have limited contact with a species and you form entire um decisions and and drastic paths of actions about them for january 8 you know 8 7 whatever 8472 kess's one interaction of you know hey i'm a invasive foot soldier we're going to kill everybody and it drives janeway to shape her decision to ally with the borg and completely put her d in the uh delta quadrants a and in this case it's Paris saying, all right, Burkus, you don't have the resolve to do this. I'm going to ignore the fact you're just a middle management schlub and think the rest of your government's incapable and I'm going to take action myself. Uh, Because they do eventually have a whole science briefing where they say, here, here's the information we collected. Here's what we think you should do. Uh, And again, another Malorn type situation. And those are the space garbage men that rocked Voyager's world. You've got uh, Balana Torres like, hey, here's uh, the scientific data and here is some cool Federation hypertech that will let you start changing what you're doing so you can avoid this catastrophic failure that is going to destroy the planet. And they're like, thanks, we'll take it under advisement. And tensions start to rise with really Tom leading from the front. And you don't really see ever uh subordinates to the captain standing up getting mouthy pushing the envelope and basically putting words in the federation's mouth starfleet's mouth but that's what you get here and rightfully so at the conclusion of the meeting uh janeway's like listen you need to chill the fuck out i get you don't like what you're seeing here that's part of the job you know how often do we come across situations we don't like and have to kind (laughs) of or should i i wouldn't say have to because clearly Voyager does as it pleases when it pleases, but you know, we should be maintaining neutral party. They asked for our help. We helped. We gave a recommendation. We got some data and that's where our involvement at this ends. Do you understand? Yeah. She gives him a lot of rope to kind of express himself. And this is kind of where the episode tries to take a turn of like Tom being against inaction because he finds the inaction unjust, which is, which is kind of the character growth moment. I think we're all supposed to observe here is that, when as he rebels against this inaction it's because he sees something that is wrong that needs to be fixed and he doesn't like that the rules are preventing it from being fixed 
And I think that is dem- it's supposed to be demonstrative of that while he his his personality may not be compatible with being a Starfleet officer necessarily, which is kind of the point of his character, right? That he never wanted to be one. Oh, uh, well, you know, that's again, speaking of uh, stuff, they just manifest into existence. He always wanted to be uh, a Navy dude, and apparently he never wanted to be in Starfleet. I think they they established that I never wanted to be in Starfleet part better in prior episodes and that it was really him trying to, like, please his father that led him down that path. And so that I buy, right? Like, he doesn't care about Starfleet's rules. He doesn't care about the prime directive. He's open contempt for any kind of these high, uh, you know, these super lofty discussions. And we saw it in the last episode. When it came to training his girlfriend from a fatal, uh, you know, uh, strange uh, space parasite that was sucking the life out of her you know, of like, who the fuck cares how we found out how to treat it? Let's deal with let's save her life. Why is this even a fucking discussion? Right. Like, oh, because it's wrong. Fuck you. Like, fuck you. It's wrong. You know, what would be really wrong. Letting Bolana die. So let's not do that. I mean, he just doesn't care about these kinds of arguments. He cares about doing the right thing in the moment. Result. And I feel and that they develop that well. I will say that. I just wish it was built around not this super forced. I love Jules Verne and 20,000 leagues under the sea bullshit. Oh, my God. Let me show you my my octopus tattoo I have. Speaking of Balana, uh, which. In case you forgot, Tom and Balana are actually in a relationship, and I think that it's nice that we have to be reminded of it that it hasn't been beating us over the head because it has not been a very pretty relationship in season five with a particular low point of uh how he acts around her in um extreme risk extreme risk yeah. where she's all <laughs> fucked up in the head and he's just like all i care about is building the shuttle and you're not helping me and i'm completely ignorant to the fact that you are very hurt right now uh i did like the the feel of their relationship in um, the previous episode where the parasite was on her. And in this one, I mean, this is probably the most genuine emotional moment that they have had in maybe ever. Uh, Tom's feeling real down on his luck. He's real mopey about what's going on. He's sitting in the holodeck in the Captain Proton uh, set piece there obviously for you know R and R and instead he's just preoccupied with uh with how wrong this situation feels, like how bad he wants to just summon Captain Planet and undo the strip mining. Bolana rolls in and, and starts to talk to him and she reaches out with some genuine emotional support and along the way says, Hey, by the way, I am a uh radicalized extreme terrorist who murders people when I disagree <laughs> with what they say. Maybe you should just, you know, do whatever the fuck you want, Tom. And he's like, yeah, maybe I should. Like her lack of culpability at the end of this episode, I got a real laugh out of. Yeah, he's she straight up and encourages him to do what he did. Like she doesn't say, hey, I'm a terrorist. You should be a terrorist, too. Then we can be terrorist boyfriend and girlfriend together forever. Uh, But she does kind of say, like, well, you know, uh, you can go save them if you're a man. You know, man enough to go uh, go do something about it. I certainly would respect that. You know, like she straight up like encourages him to commit this act of defiance. Like she 
If anyone knew that this discussion would happen, she'd be an accessory. Like, 100%. By the end, when Janeway has to make the decision to fire on the Delta Flyer to prevent Tom from collapsing this uh, this culture's oxygen production operations, like, they give you a lot of views around the bridge, but the one they don't ever show you is Balan. And I would have loved to see, like... Is she secretly proud of Tom for sticking to his morals? Is she suddenly very scared because now her little pep talk has put Tom directly in the firing path of Voyager's photon torpedoes? Like where, where is she in that moment on, on her decisions uh, to, to really enable all of this behavior? So she totally does that, you know, just, yeah. Gives him the pep talk. Fuck, you know, Fuck everything. Do what you want. Tom uh, interdicts Riga on his way off the ship and dismisses the little bullshit transporter operator and starts saying, hey, listen, man, hypothetically, if we wanted to just blow up a bunch of shit that your culture's got a, you know, a lot of value and how do we go about doing that? And the guy's like, uh, what? And he's like, you know, hypothetically, oh, hypothetically, yeah, I go be a terrorist. Sure, let's 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 do this. So they they beam down to well, no, they they steal the Delta Flyer, and immediately Janeway's like, oh, Tom, you son of a bitch! <laughs> like, obviously, you're the one doing this because you are a criminal and a pilot and care, and the rest of the episode is essentially a. I don't know, a hunt for Red October, you know, minute, three minute homage where they're uh, attempting to uh, depth charge the Delta Flyer uh, with a photon torpedo. And the tension is supposed to be on if Janeway is willing to kill Tom. And the suggestion is, quite frankly, that she is, Uh, that she tries to get talked to Tom out of it. Tom defies uh, her rather confidently and, uh, you know, makes the move to bomb this 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 uh, civilization's uh, you know evil polluter factories, and I th- you know, I she and Tuvok that, figure out. I thought the tension wasn't is Janeway willing to kill Tom, but is Tom going to be successful in blowing and completely fucking up this uh, this alien race's infrastructure? Like you know, Tom's going to live, but. I really didn't know, like, is Tom going to be successful and arguably save the planet or is Janeway going to be successful in preventing? I mean, and at this point, like, again, they've already earned themselves another one star review on the neighborhood, the next door Yelp. You know, the yeah. ship of death has come to whatever the fuck this planet's name is and, and yet again inserted themselves. And even if she does intercept this torpedo that he's trying to blow up the the mining facility, like still a pretty bad taste in your mouth. There are some fun scenes where Janeway basically like tells the, the bureaucrat, all right, you should evacuate everybody. I'm cutting you off. Like she's just, I'm, I'm going to tell you what's going on. I'm trying to fucking fix the problem. I'm not up for your, I'm not up for your, I'm not up for your sass. <laughs> I got problems. Shut your gills and let mommy do her job. This is the biggest Voyager fuck up, I'd say, since the Cleveland Bromar incident with Seven of Nine going rogue and forcing their way into uh, into unwelcome territory um, to more. Uh, le- I'd say getting all of Arturus's people killed was actually a bigger fuck up. <laughs> 
gonna, like billions dead. We're at fifty eight minutes, Joe. I, please don't get me started on that. <laughs> Uh, but the end result is that uh, instead of killing Tom, Tuvok fires Voyager's torpedo to intercept the Delta Flyer's torpedo. Uh, so that it has a, a midair bullet to bullet strike. Uh, this knocks the Delta Flyer off uh, offline. And so it's recovered by Voyager and uh, the would be fish person terrorist and Tom have been caught and are not successful in doing the action that they thought might save the planet. And we don't see what happens to poor Fishman. Maybe he's strung up by his kills. I don't know if they have capital punishment on that planet or not. Uh, but uh, that's when we finally see the full scene of uh, Tom's demotion. And that's where we actually find out there is a piece that we didn't see at the beginning. And that is Tom face to face, close talking with Catherine Janeway and him defending his actions. And Janeway is very disappointed, you know. Frankly, I was willing to kill you if I had to. You're lucky to be here. I really thought you were over this. You've been a great officer for four years and then you pull this fucking shit. And there's a lot of good acting on the part of both of them with their face, conveying the emotion of her disappointment, her respects, you know, having been kind of tarnished at the same time. She's like pained to do this. And Tom's like, I don't think you understand. I have become a better person for being under your command. I don't like rules. I'm bad at following rules and I broke them. And I'm not going to say that I didn't, but I did it for the right reason this time. And I'm not going to apologize for having done what I believe is correct. And, he, you know, he doesn't say it, but the implication is that's what I've learned from you. That's what I've learned by becoming a better man on the ship is I'm, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm going to own the consequences of my actions, which are all three things that old Tom couldn't do. He got, cashiered out of Starfleet because he tried to lie about the pilot error that he was involved with when he was an officer. When he was and Nick Lacarno. When he's Nick Lacarno. Uh and that they kind of ported over for the his for his uh backstory here. Uh that he decided to join the Maquis, not because he believed in it, but because he was just wanted to lash out. So he rebelled but with but with no good reason. And he tried to escape from his culpability for his actions and hide from it. So I thought it was really cool how they managed to say this character has grown in these ways quite distinctively, but it doesn't make him not a rebel because that's too core to his personality. Yeah. Uh, you know, he as as uh, Balana said, he found himself a cause. I just regret that it was a shoehorned cause. Like everything is cool that goes on here. This water planet's awesome. Um his rebellion, the the brig scenes, it's just I wish they had laid the foundation for this stuff to really seem in character and get you keen to the idea that Tom's launching this eco terrorist agenda on an unsuspecting populace and further tarnishing the rep the Federation's reputation over something that only matters because they spent a minute and a half really saying, hey, this matters a lot, but <clears throat> uh, it's good. I think to answer the question that I posed earlier, uh, yes, his actions were absolutely worth the punishment. Uh, I think you're right that it's still probably not enough, and it only seems as drastic as it is because Janeway is not firm enough. But for what he did and what the Federation and Starfleet are supposed to be about, like 
this is some fucking terrible stuff that went down. And uh, I would say that realistically, he should have been booted out of the crew. Like, at least when Chakotay went rogue, it was like, I'm trying to take all the danger I created onto just myself and solo this. Yeah, it was very like self-sacrificial for the ship. Tom's actions were much more. I'm doing this because I think it's the right thing, even though it, it wasn't necessarily putting Voyager in danger. It was uh, it's an act reputation. of war, you know, I would yeah. say the I will. I, I think that his punishment in a vacuum is light. It's probably extremely light. But given the circumstances, probably the only punishment that that Catherine Janeway can afford to give him. And I think it's mitigated by the fact that we get that scene at the end where he says, like, yeah, I, I did it. And, you know, I, I recognize it was what it was and that I defied you. But it's because I've learned to, to give a fuck. And I'm not going to apologize for learning to give a fuck. So meanwhile, in the cool. brig. Uh, you know, there's is the the scene with Harry Kim where Harry swings by and Tom kind of shuts him out because Harry suggests that you should keep making the letter to your father and quit being a bitch. They get a little snippy with each other and he pieces out. Um, but by the end of it, Tom does decide to finish his little tale and uh, give an issue to the order to the computer that when they are within range to Earth to transmit it to his dad. We do get a little stinger at the end where. Uh, his terrorist mentor, Alana Torres, reaches out. Who like? That's the kind of the shitty thing on her. Like she did totally put out the the breadcrumbs to to lead him to these actions. She doesn't really ever swing by to see him, and she's not even there when he finally gets let out. She's just like, "Oh hey, you want to get dinner?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I'd love to." And uh, I don't know. The relationship's fucked up, so I guess that all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, that wraps our discussion of uh, 30 Days. I think overall we liked it. It's yeah, unfor- man. It's unfortunate it had some, you know, some detours that weren't to our liking. but Very uh, minor. Very, very. I mean, overall, this was a great episode. And when you look at some of the real stinkers, even out of season five, like anything bad that I've just said about this episode is a drop in the fucking bucket. And next week... Uh, what do we have up waiting for us? Season five, episode nine, Counterpoint. And we see uh, some dude who looks like a regular human standing in astrometrics. Voyager moves through a sector controlled by a race that is suspicious of telepathic life forms, as you damn well should be. The crew develops a novel approach to pass safely. What do you remember about this one, Joe? Uh, this is Janeway's time in the uh, bad shit happens to you barrel. Um, I. Wasn't this dark ha- her bad barrel or does she get two? Uh, the. Eh, I guess you could say well, you mean night night. I'm sorry. The yeah. season, the season premiere. Yes. Uh, partially. Um, this is definitely just like a specific Janeway episode. I think this was. I think this was an attempt to give her romance. I actually don't. I don't remember too much about this one. Good. We're both going in blind then. Yeah. Yeah, like I have this vague memory of of her. Maybe I maybe I'm thinking of it wrong one. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. It'll be nice to rewatch this one. All right, man. Well, uh, until then. All right. And thank you to everybody that is uh, following along with us uh, as we continue our hateful journey through the Delta Quadrant. Uh, we 
if for some reason this happens to be one the first one you've listened to, welcome. Uh, we put out episodes every Thursday, at least we try to. And uh, we occasionally do live streams. I think uh, we're thinking about uh, uh, scheduling one here soon, try to do one around halfway through the season. Uh, but more importantly, uh, we have a Patreon. And for our patrons, uh, we try to produce once every few months a special episode that's exclusive to them uh, for a while. And uh, we have decided to do a review of the best Star Trek movie that isn't a Star Trek movie. And it's obviously Galaxy Quest. Uh, the first one we did was on the TNG triple X porn parody, probably still the best work we ever did. Mm. Uh, no, like no lie. And that's available to everybody now, but uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get that done for the end of the month and make that uh, available to our patrons. So if you want to kick in a few dollars and support us there, you type feed your please into Patreon. You'll find us right away. Uh, we do appreciate it. it helps keep the uh, relatively low uh, podcast bills uh, paid around here. So we appreciate that. And we'll see you next week.